0: I know you were looking into how to migrate off of Silverlight, Wes, and uh, I've got great news for you because a team of experts came together and created OpenSilver. Finally, a modern,
1: plug-in-free, open-source re-implementation of Silverlight just in time. That's great. I finally don't have to move on and learn any sort of new HTML5-based technology.
0: Hello, friends. Welcome in to Linux Unplugged, episode 344. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Wes, this week, your weekly Linux talk show ended up running Windows 10. What? It's been quite the week. We figured to round out last week's episode, it'd only be fair to take a look at Windows 10 and load it up with the latest and greatest that Microsoft has to offer and how perfect it happened to coincide with us both attending the very first WSL comp the Windows Subsystem for Linux conference. It's really showcasing how people can get work done on Windows in Linux. Or another way to put that is showcasing some of the work they'll be able to do soon. We'll tell you a little bit about that and what our experience has been like at a Linux event that has put together like a canonical Microsoft joint effort. It's been something. Oh, yeah. We've been attending this morning, and we'll tell you all about that. Of course, we've got community news and some app picks. But first, I've got to say a hearty afternoon to Mr. Bacon. Hello, cheesy.
2: Hello there. How are you?
0: Oh, you know, pretty good. Been up early. We got in uh, at six a.m. to do the uh, WSL comp because it's even though it was a Pacific Coast event at Microsoft, once once it went virtual, they opened it up to the world, and so they made it East Coast time, and so it started really early for us. It's six a.m. this morning. Yeah, your boys have been podcasting since six a.m. <laughs> Is it still going on? Yeah, it's still going on right now. But uh, we hit the old pause button. To do this, and
1: then it, it continues tomorrow, and we'll be attending. So, weekend. definitely still time to catch it, sign up, go check it out live if you want.
0: Yeah. And also, a huge time appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. 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 Howdy. Well, howdy to Ace Nomad, Brent Bike, Carl, Computer Kid, Frank, Colonel, Neon Popey, Stefan, Stewin. TechMav, Tyler, and Mr. Wimpy. Hello, Ooh, you all. It's wow. so good to see you. What a crowd. We've been, uh, have you been WSLing,
3: Popey or Wimpy? Uh, I've had it on the background while I've been doing my other work, yes. Yes,
0: yes. I've actually been sitting here and paying quite a bit of attention to it and cutting some clips and whatnot, which is one of the nice things of it being virtual. It's actually pretty, pretty easy for us to get audio. <laughs> a lot less work. Yeah, probably the <laughs> easiest conference I've ever attended. Yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, first... I want to cover something that Jim Salter posted about over at Ars Technica, and that is the ZFS snapshot support that is landing in Ubuntu 2004. This is something you and I have been speculating a lot about. Oh, where is this going to yeah. go? And we've gotten some indications over the, you know, last few months about. Snapshots getting built into the package management system of Ubuntu. So that way, when you install a
1: package, before that package is actually installed and the change is executed, a snapshot is taken. Right. I mean, this is functionality we've been experimenting with. Totally different world over with ButterFS and Snapper. It'd be nice to have it just built right in, though. And the user doesn't have to worry about it. It's invoked by the package manager.
0: Exactly. So Jim dug into how this works exactly, um, he says, when you first get Ubuntu installed, there aren't any fresh snapshots on the system yet. But if you do say apt-get install gimp, you'll see that zsys has taken a snapshot of every
1: dataset present in the R pool. And there's a lot of data sets. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, though, having a snapshot taken prior to installing any new packages means that something should go haywire, which, I mean, it doesn't happen that often on Ubuntu these days, but it certainly can. You can easily revert the system back to its prior state before you had that package installed. Yeah, that's nice. carving up the system into so many different data sets means, in turn, that we can roll back only those parts of the system affected by the package manager. You don't have to snapshot your entire root partition because you've got these data sets parceled out, and that means you've got a lot more granularity and control. Uh,
0: So it's a little more complicated by having more data sets, but it's less complicated from a restoration standpoint.
1: And the idea, in theory, is that ZSYS is going to be managing that for you, so unless something goes really wrong, you don't have to worry yourself about how many data sets there are.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the whole thing that's nice about it is it, is it's essentially transparent to the user until they need it. Um, and uh, Didrocks tweeted back to Jim and said, by the way, you can actually revert the system state from grub too, which is right. a user ex- way for a
1: user to actually just from a GUI revert back. Jim had some questions around, okay, I can see how you can take a snapshot and trigger that all to happen, but how do I actually go back and, and restore that state without having to go to the low level and roll back each data set individually? Didrocks is sort of explaining. Actually, we're planning to use Grub for that. Huh. Pope, I know you've been playing around with 2004. Have you played around with any of this stuff? Did you do the
3: experimental ZFS support, or did you go uh, Extended 4? So I did go, uh, ZFS on my, th- my main ThinkPad, So the machine I'm on right now, and every so often I apt install something because it's clean. I've, I've got to go through and install a few things as, and I do that on demand as I need them. Every time I do that, I see the little line that says saved system state. And I'm thinking, Ooh, that's nice. I haven't actually had to revert anything yet. And, and I think did Rock is right to point that out. It's the whole grub thing is supposed to be the user facing part so that 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 whole oh my system is broken what on earth do I do well you just reboot and choose a different (laughs) snapshot and then you're back in the game it's brilliant I love it
1: kind of makes sense instead of having to troubleshoot from a possibly broken system yeah
3: I think I think Mm. Jim Jim's coming across it coming to it as someone who is like deeply technical and very much a zfs expert whereas we're trying to pitch it towards people who don't care about what technology is under the covers they just know that if they need to go back in time they can do right they might not even know it's or likely
0: don't even know it's cfs right it's just happening that's fascinating and totally makes sense for a broader audience wimpy i'm kind of curious if you have thoughts on where the future of this stuff could go
3: well, uh, for 2010, it's going to be all about encrypted ZFS.
0: Oh. <laughs> that's that's great. And of course, it would make sense to do that in the 10 release. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, hmm. I am I think I'm going to do it. So we put Windows 10. I was actually, so I was going to go to 2004. I'd already even made the USB drive for you. Yeah, yeah. Like I was going to do it after the show. But then we were like, we should really round out the our experiences learned from Mac OS with our experience to learn from Windows and give it a real fair shake. Try to remove as much bias as possible, try to take our time setting it up right, use the new Windows, Windows subsystem. Actually try to get work done with it. Try the new terminal, Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. all that stuff. And um, I didn't end up on Ubuntu as a result of that, but once I take Windows off, and hint, yes, I will be taking Windows
1: off, <laughs> I'm going to go with 2004, and I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the ZFS. It's neat to see some of this happening, too. I think we all speculated all right, is this going to be an area that Ubuntu explores down the road when ZFS wasn't announced, you know, as built right in way back when? It's finally here. I mean, it's nice to see. I agree. I agree. And
0: going to be fun to play around with. Something to look forward to.
3: I'm trying to think of ways in which I can break my system so that I can test this because it's pretty boring at the moment. (laughs) Nothing's broken. So (laughs) it's
1: a bit (laughs) of a challenge to see if I can exercise this thing. You just need to write a quick script that deletes random files and, you know, share that with everyone. Yeah, there you go. I I think it's a pretty great idea for a workstation.
0: I mean, obviously it's good for, I mean, I think when we talk about this, we're often talking about servers and updates and stuff like that.
1: But I think it's really nice for a peace of mind from a workstation. Just to be able to roll back and know, like, okay, maybe I'll go deal with why that upgrade failed later. Right now I have work to get done. Yes. Oh, yeah, you know, like last night. <laughs>
0: Uh, I should never do this. Don't do like Chris does. Oh, boy. But I have a problem. I'm having a problem with uh, my Home Assistant app on my phone. Can't connect to my Home Assistant server. The web page works fine. And the system like has needed rebooted recently a couple of times. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to do a full update. It's been a little while since I've updated the Raspbian install on this box. And I'll get the latest Docker image. And... Reboot and see if everything just works. Maybe I don't need to try much further than that. You know, just basic troubleshooting stuff. Right. Update and see if I fix it. Until it's like bedtime and I'm getting up super early to get in here to do WSL conf. So I'm trying to go to bed early and it's still taking forever to write the packages because of the slow SD card. And I think to myself, if this breaks, I'm going to be up all night fixing this.
1: Like it's a very important system. It's those things where, like, I know I shouldn't do it, but normally it works. So I'm just going to take the risk and do it. And then it. (sighs) It did work. It did work. No,
0: everything was fine. It rebooted. Everything was fine. But the thought I had was, oh, man, I wish I had a snapshot right now. I wish I would have done, because like last week I was talking, or the week before, I was talking about making an image backup of it, which I still haven't done. (sighs) And I was really regretting it. But everything went fine. Uh, but that sna- those snapshots will just give me a little bit more peace of mind. All right, you're not allowed to watch anything new on Plex until you've got those <laughs> backups. What about existing shows? Picard's on. Picard's on. I got to watch Picard. I know, it's ridiculous. And to make matters worse, I'm heading off to go to Denver, so it's not like I'm going to have time to do it anytime soon. Wait, you're going to Denver? I'm going to Denver, Wes. So it's been it's been kind of like one of those, should I go, should I not go? But when I saw how successful... The App Center for Everyone campaign was for the elementary OS guys, 190% funded. They raised $19,000. Wow. They're going for $10,000. And I started thinking about what it is here that's so appealing. And I mean, there's the factor of, you know, elementary OS is a proven project that has delivered results for years with a steady progression in improvements. But they've also delivered on these sprints in the past. So there's that aspect of it that makes it pretty much a sure bet. But my time. On the Mac that just wrapped up was so freaking like perfect because it showed me how necessary a healthy third-party app ecosystem really is and how important developers actually paying to eat and feed their families actually plays a role in them staying committed and creating great software. And I I think I was starting to buy into, well, we can have just everything that's a free ecosystem. It's it's a utopia and it's going to be fine. It'll just take a while. And then and then I tried a few apps that are so far and above better than anything that I have used in years, I really had to have a think about it. And then this thing lands, and it's so outrageously well-funded, I realized this could be the spark that sets off a very important fire because this is a cross-distribution payment backend system done by a proven project. And if they're successful, there'll likely be others that crop up to compete with it. And we'll we'll have multiples in the market, but somebody has to prove it out that it's worth it. And somebody has to make something that is easy for developers to digest. And these guys also have a track record of doing that. And I think I want to be there for whatever happens. If it's, if it's a huge success and it kicks off a new revolution of desktop Linux software, I want to be there for that moment. If it's nothing more than just watching a well-organized project execute on something that their community finds important, I want to document that. And if it's an utter failure, I'd like to have insights as to why. So I am packing up Lady Jupes, I'm getting out of the COVID-19 hot zone, and I'm heading to Denver to document this thing. I'm doing it on my own dime, and I go into the rationale and all of that in the Chris Last cast at chrislast.com slash nine. I'm going to go there. I'm going to document it. I'm going to talk to the guys. I'm going to wrap my head around what they're doing because I think, especially after my recent time visiting the Mac, this is, this is so important. And this is the first step. If they're successful, others will follow and then we will have ourselves a real functioning system that it gives developers a path to monetization to create high-quality software that can run on top of our free operating system. And I think there's something amazing about that, that this free operating system could become a viable economic platform for people to feed themselves. I want to see it. So I'm paying for it myself. It's not a work function. It's not really something that I think work probably is very interested in. It's not really in the core area of their interest.
1: But I think it's important. Hey, I'm glad I'm going to live vicariously through you because you're right. I mean, the elementary project and Dan and Cassidy as developers and creators who you know obviously love the Linux platform and are trying to build things for it, they get those problems of, well, how do I get money? What framework do I target? How do I even build an app that's going to work with all the things that I need? I think they're a great team to try to take on this challenge. A hundred percent
0: funded on day four, 619 backers when I checked. That's pretty big. And this is the only way we're ever going to beat the Mac. If you want to be, if you want to become a popular platform for the average user, you got to get there. It's, you know, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a cliche to blame marketing. To say that it's a lack of organized marketing that has prevented Linux from getting adopted in the marketplace is a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes the market move. It's, it's wishful thinking that that's all that has to be solved. The reality is, is this has to be solved first.
2: Well, and I think that there's a ton of great apps already available in the App Center uh, that are, in my opinion, on a different level than a lot of the free apps that you would get from any other distribution. Right. Um, namely, like Quilter. I love, I don't know if you've tried that one or not. I think I think the developers asking like nine bucks for it. I gave them 10, um, but it's a markdown editor. Super clean, super efficient Markdown editor with a preview toggle and a Markdown toggle. Um, I actually picked it up from uh, the JB Telegram. I was asking for an awesome Markdown editor, and I think it was um, Chicken who had who had suggested it to me. Um, so I've been using that one. Uh, Cassidy's got some pretty cool apps out there. Uh, palette is a, is a pretty cool one that he's made. Um, but there's tons of apps that are already out there. that are that are excellent. Really nice. And I think yeah, I that going forward, what, what they're starting to create is an, is an environment where I can purchase these apps and then I can reload my whatever laptop and download all the apps that I've already purchased previously. I don't mind giving to that developer again, but, um, you know, if that app, ends development, at least I've already got that purchase locked down.
0: I try to make some examples of what I think are apps that just could not be replicated on the Linux side in that Chris last cast. So if you think I'm wrong, I first encourage you to check out episode 9 because I think I make the case of applications that are the prime example of things that you could only have if there
1: was a monetization path Well Well, it's the stability too. It's it's monetization and knowing that this, this platform's going to be around. I can Put I can enter here, and I'll get some stuff back. Yeah, and it's not all going to change. I out can from under build. Me.
0: I can build a long-term customer base. Yes. That's really important. There's a culture shift that has to happen along with that, and that is that Linux users are willing to pay for software, but it's a chicken and the egg problem right now. And the advantage that the Elementary OS guys have that I see over previous projects, and I'd like to get Popey's take on this here in a second, is they are well liked throughout the community they they have they have good standing and they're creating something that is going to be generally available it's not just distribution specific here and i think maybe that might be some of the fundamental difference here popey what do you think
3: yeah they also have a solid uh, developer story which we've we've got some experience of making a paid app store in that we did it back in the 1204 days and we didn't have a solid developer story it was You know, build a deb of anything and submit it to the store and we'll review it and maybe it'll go in, maybe it won't. And while there were paid apps in there, it was a mishmash of basically awful applications. There wasn't anything really compelling. And I think because the elementary guys have set their bar quite high for their expectations and they've set that their documentation is solid and they've made opinionated choices about what you need to do in order to be accepted in the store, I think they're going to end up with a bunch of beautiful functional applications that developers will get paid for. Whether they get paid enough yeah. and whether they get enough apps is the thing we can only tell by doing this for years and looking back on it.
0: I agree. I think that's that's the yet to be seen. And if it will be enough to stop the natural momentum towards just publishing things As, you know, an electron application, which seems to be where we're building momentum to and is functional and will be generally accepted by those that just need to get work done, especially those in an enterprise environment. But it's not ideal in all cases. I think it's fine for some applications, but I don't think it's ideal for all applications. And that's why I really would like to see a healthy native application ecosystem, even if if we could only point to a dozen to 30 semi-healthy applications that have been monetized. Like right now... When I think about applications that take direct money in the traditional sales transactional sense, I know I'm wrong on this, but the only commercial application I can think of off the top of my head is Crossover, where you download it on Linux, you get a 30-day trial, and then you pay your 50 bucks or whatever it is.
3: Well, there are certainly paid apps in other Linux app stores. Sure, but the sure. Mon- the monetization system is something that already existed that the software vendor has implemented. It's not implemented in the store. So you pay a monthly fee for Spotify or you pay a fee sure, for yeah. Slack or you know Skype, but they all have their own ways of taking their funds out of you, which doesn't benefit the distro, whereas what Elementary are doing ensures that it's sustaining the distro as well as the developer great point
0: yeah services have really kind of brought a whole new wave of applications to linux because when you're monetizing as a service you want to bring on as many users as you can so that that shift in monetization strategy has actually benefited linux users to some degree but i'm sick and tired of it i'm so sick of subscriptions i've been thinking uh like, Hadea and I, when we get back from Denver, we're going to have a calling where we just sit down and look at all those subscriptions right now and cancel stuff. It's like again. you need some
1: subscription service to manage all your subscription services. There is one. <laughs> I saw it advertised on Twitter. There is we'll one. We'll give that a try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just needs access to everything
0: real quick to do that. So no bigs, right? No bigs. Uh, anyways, I'm very excited about it.
2: One of the things that we haven't really talked about, and it's kind of a concern to me, is how the, the community itself is going to react. Obviously, I hope that this is kind of a, a change in which the community doesn't always have to have something that's free, um, that they can actually, you know, donate to something, donate to a project and help push these developers forward and instead of, I guess, expecting it to always be free.
0: I think there will be a negative reaction, though, from a portion of the Absolutely. community. And I think that's one of the reasons I want to go. So that way, when I'm having a conversation about it, I have that on-the-ground insight into this. Um, plus, I think it's just really good to just reestablish, you know, in, in-person in connections with this team and with all of the events getting canceled. Like, there won't be an opportunity likely this year to actually, you know, go see Dan and Cassidy.
2: Get it while you can. Are you really just going down there so that you can get your hoodie early?
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah, they better have them. Swag
2: pickup. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I suppose full disclaimer. I was a backer, but I think I said yeah. that earlier. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I think it's still going to be good for me to do it, and we'll have. I'll talk about it here on the show and let you guys know how it went. I'm excited for them, though. I, I think it's pretty tremendous that they got $19,000, and it didn't quite make their next stretch goal, but I think they'll still be able to put that money to really good use. And one of the things that I think also was a takeaway. Oh, I, I want to mention this too. I know I'm going on about this, but. I think there's a lot to learn here. I think there's things for other distributions to pay attention here that are working for them. Think about this, how many distributions do we know that have a couple of full-time staff and have these successfully community-funded sprints where they get together as a team and then produce something. That sounds like Ubuntu. <laughs> like it sounds like it's Ubuntu. Sure does. And Fedora has Flock and there's some but they really have figured out a recipe here that I think other distributions could look at as a pathway to success. Um, and part of it is because of their special sauce. But I, I think there's things to learn here. And that's another reason I want to go, is I think there's things for other distributions to learn here. And I want to learn what it is. And you just like Denver. That's true. That's true. Although when I'm going through Wyoming, it's supposed to get really cold. We're going to be up at like 8,000 feet, and it's snowing right now. Um, So I'm really going to be watching the weather very closely for that. <laughs> it's not a great time of the year. You want an adventure, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, let's do a little housekeeping. Um, you know what I just realized? This is the best turnout we have ever had after Daylight Savings. Fantastic. You all did a tremendous job. Usually there's like four of you in here after Daylight no Savings. No one's shown up grumpy and confused late in the show. Yeah. I was going to make a special reminder about Daylight Savings has happened now in the U.S., and so it, it'll take a little while before it changes everywhere else, and typically it, it messes up everybody's live schedule. But look at this rockin'... Like it's it's such a great showing that I didn't even cross my mind until we got to the housekeeping. So thank you, everybody. We do this Tuesdays, JBLive.tv. If all goes as planned, I'll be live streaming from Denver next week. I'll be remote at Denver in Lady Jupes. There is there is a uh, there is an RV park called the Flying Saucer that I love is it. right I love next already. to Right by where they're having a sprint. So just park up right there, do my shows, get my work done. Head over to their place, do interview. It's going to be great. It's just – so it's jblive.tv on a Tuesday. If you want to watch that train wreck in real time because that, that one's going to be tricky, show up next week. Yeah, definitely a live one. Yeah, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for your local time zone. So far, still chug- chugging right along. Foss Talk Live, June 20th at the Harrison, which is near King's Cross in London. Some of your favorite Linuxy podcasters get together and have themselves a night. Um, as far as I know, it's a go. Popey and Wimpy, I believe you're going to be there.
3: I don't know otherwise. Uh,
0: apparently yeah. it's going to be on. <laughs> Yeah, It <Yeah. laughs> may change. Who knows?
3: Just need to figure out what the show's going to be. Small matter of that, but other than that, yeah. Pandemic Plenty pending. time.
0: Pandemic pending. Uh, it should be going June 20th. Tickets are on sale now. Pay what you want for that. And uh, I, I hear that the Ubuntu podcast is always one to catch
3: live. Set expectations there. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've been... We've been
1: bumped up the billing list this, yeah. this year. I hear
3: out of, if you can only catch one show in the year,
0: that's the oh, show. This <laughs> is the one. <laughs> oh, no. And we need everyone to go. I
1: mean, we can't make it, unfortunately, so yeah. go in our stead. Go
0: and tell us. Come back on the Mumble Room, on the podcast, and and give us your full review. <laughs> uh, also, a plug for Linux Headlines, linuxheadlines.show. Every single weekday, in three minutes or less, you get the news, and it's great. It's a great way to stay up to date. And then last but not least, join us on our Telegram at telegram.com slash, or, no, no. It's probably something like that, but it's jupiterbroadcasting.com.
1: Have you heard of that? Oh, slash yeah. telegram. Have you heard of that, Wes? Oh, yeah. You're familiar with that? Hmm. Yeah. You know, headlines is no joke. <laughs> I try to stay up on the news, but already twice this week, I've learned things from headlines. I know. It's quite the system. Things I needed to know.
0: All right, so um, our ThinkPads have Windows 10 installed on them. Now, you you have a dual boot, right? Oh, yeah, of course I do. I went. I went all in. I did it 100. percent Then what I was thinking I might do later is when I go 2004, just resize the main partition,
1: and maybe it's a keep nice way to there. handle too. See how Ubuntu's installer does with that.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, and I, well, what do I care? I mean, if it'll handle <laughs> it great,
1: of course. But. Well,
0: and if it doesn't, could not care less. <laughs> um, hey, I installed that. So um, I think we should start with WSL Conf because that's going on right now as we record. And then we should loop back and I think talk about our our Windows 10 experiences because a lot of it's centered around WSL. Yeah. Which is, of course, as you guys probably know, the Windows subsystem for (laughs) Linux. And starting with version 2, which is rolling out on the Insider builds right now. So if you want to go get all up to date, you can grab an Insider ISO that is already at a build number high enough now that you can just install WSL 2. The key thing... And there's a lot to it, but the key thing about WSL2 to take away is it's much faster and it's a proper tiny hyper VM. And to that end, the different distributions and projects that ship on WSL have been working to take advantage of some of these improvements. And it's in a really good position right now. And so Wes and I were extremely curious what it's like to go attend a Linux event at the Redmond campus. However, because of the current um corona concerns, it transitioned to a virtual event very quickly which I mean that's difficult for any conference. Side note, when all of this is over, I would love to invite Hayden on the show and get the scoop from him on how the hell he pulled it off because uh, the amount he must be working and the whole team behind this event because unbelievable to convert yeah. to convert a in-person conference at the Redmond campus into a virtual event with presentations and hundreds of attendees. Way more viewers now. I got I to get the story on that. But I, I figured I wasn't even going to ask him right now because he's That's just going. On. He's just trying to get through the event. It's still going on right now. And um, I, I was very impressed because they pulled it off and they ended up using Red Hat's blue jeans for it, which is the first time we would ever used blue jeans. And so I get into the studio this morning, I bring it up here, and I started recording some clips, so that way we could share a bit of it with you. And we start with an introduction and a bit of history
4: of the subsystem. Okay, we are live. Welcome, everyone, to the first WSL Conf, now virtual. Uh, welcome, attendees. Welcome, speakers who are joining us. And welcome, our friends from Microsoft. Uh, thank you for your participation and your support uh, for this event. And, of course, this is Hayden Barnes from Canonical. Um Thank you, attendees, for coming out. Uh, Some of you from very far-flung time zones, we appreciate it. Uh, Speakers who have been flexible with us at this time, uh, adjusting from in-person to virtual to shifting time zones, we know it's been a hassle, and we appreciate uh, what you've done for us to bring us everything uh, you're going to show us. Uh, Thank you to Canonical for sponsoring this live stream, and to Microsoft for creating the WSL platform Uh, that we build on. Uh, We have come quite a ways uh, on WSL, Windows Subsystem for Linux. Um, Those of you may recall, Microsoft first announced Bash on Ubuntu on Windows in 2016. Uh, And then in 2017, it became Windows Subsystem for Linux, uh, WSL as we know it today, with a growing ecosystem of distros uh, on the Microsoft Store. Uh, Two years later, Microsoft announced WSL 2, and that was the version of WSL with a live Linux kernel. And we are looking forward to that shipping in April of 2020. Uh, Just coming up here soon, might coincide uh, if we uh, make it with Ubuntu 2004.
0: Now, of course, when you go from a physical event to a virtual event, you are still subject to the very things that many virtual events are subject to, like microphone issues.
4: Uh, Craig, we're having issues with your audio, I think.
0: And like so many presentation applications, they can be buggy. Plugins can crash.
5: Hello. There we go. Let's try this again. There we go. <laughs> I had a plugin in crash. Um, okay. So, thank you so much, uh, Hayden. Uh, so... So one of the things, and then he crashed again. But one of the things, once Craig
0: got going, he's a program manager for WSL. And Wes and I had this conversation about um, another program manager who also presented. These individuals at Microsoft Really know these products. I thought when I heard the term program manager, I thought, oh, that's a fancy PMO. They probably don't know all the technical details. No, these, these individuals,
1: they know the nitty gritty details. That's just it. You can tell that they, you know, they've worked on computers for a long time. They understand what the technology is. It's not just someone who's part of the business mechanics behind the scenes.
0: Yeah. And I'm not just like trying to blow smoke here. I, I have had this impression when I work with Microsoft individuals a couple of times that these people they know their job in a way that is not typical in corporate America. <laughs> if I could, if I could make that statement, you know, somebody that's maybe not actually hands on the code generally has a pretty high level abstracted understanding of the product. Whereas these individuals truly understand the product, and so Craig begins to explain
5: uh, a bit of what he does in WSL. So my name is Craig Lowen. Uh, I am a program manager here at Microsoft, working on the Windows Subsystem for Linux. And I wanted to say welcome on the behalf of the Linux community here at Microsoft. Uh, We're going to be here. Did
0: you catch that part? He says, welcome on behalf of the Linux community at Microsoft. During this presentation, something else that struck both of us was that some of the individuals at Microsoft are of an age where they maybe have not worked there before Microsoft was all in on both embracing and I would say monetizing open source. They've only been there since Microsoft existed in this state. They were not there in the bad old days. This is the only Microsoft they know. And uh, there's something there's something just that really strikes me about that because it, it sort of shows like a, a new era of people that have entered the company in the last five years because this has been a, almost we're almost into an eight, nine year transition now. And people that have joined in the last five to eight years have existed in this giant organization in its current state
5: in force and in the chat, as well as listening to you if you have any feedback. We are also at linux at microsoft.com, so you can send us an email there and talk to us. Um, and thank you so much for coming out. We're really excited for this event, uh, barring the technical <laughs> uh, you know, instructions that we just had. And we're here to talk about the Windows subsystem for Linux, WSL. Um, this is something that I work on directly uh, I handle a lot of the feedback and talk about WSL all the time. So for me personally, it's awesome to be here and to hear exactly what you're using WSL for, what your feedback is, and how we can improve it. And we're excited to be talking about all the new stuff coming out with WSL, um, with WSL 2 coming out soon, and all of the details with that, as well as all of the exciting new features coming up with WSL
0: In fact, as different contributors added what they are changing, like Docker, for example, maybe some of the most significant changes are coming to Docker. Docker on Windows is transitioning to using the kernel that's built in WSL2 instead of shipping their own kernel now. That's massive. It's a huge reduction in architecture change. It's a big reduction in complications, is what I was going to say. But it's also, it means Docker is no longer responsible for shipping their own kernel. They'll use the built-in subsystem stuff, which will have obvious performance advantages.
5: As Craig wraps up, he added... And I kind of wanted to give a uh, Microsoft showcase or highlight reel of the Linux activity going along uh, inside of Microsoft besides just WSL.
0: And he goes off a litany of projects that they're working on that are open source and individuals that are using Linux inside Microsoft. And then he wraps up with a bit of a shout out to the
5: Linux community. So that's the kind of the the Microsoft, um, you know, core ecosystem of people that are building directly on WSL. There's also... Tons of other stuff going on with the WSL community, Um, you know, beyond just what's going on here at Microsoft specifically. uh, There's all the distros that are running on it. Um, You know, thank you to all of our distros, like definitely Canonical, as well as OpenSUSE, Alpine, Penguin, Debian, and more, who allow, you know, all of your Linux binaries to run on the WSL platform as well, and Cali for sure as well as WSL Utilities, um, Docker Desktop, which is building an experimental engine that uh, that uses WSL 2 into their Docker Desktop for Windows client. Um, these are all people who are directly innovating on WSL.
0: Yeah, a lot of software that makes it so simple to develop software for Linux that you never, but you never have to leave the Windows environment.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little scary, spooky almost. I mean, we were watching a presentation about C++, where they've just turned Visual Studio into an integrated GDB-enabled debugger, and it's like the best visual interface to GDB you could ever want. Oh, you want to use GCC and CMake? That's fine. Yeah, That's no problem. You're empowered to target Linux from these very powerful Windows tools. And you see some of Microsoft's competencies, I think, that we on the Linux side have kind of maybe not ignored, but didn't interface with directly because that was for building Windows things and we weren't interested. And suddenly those are all just... Unleashed to target our platform. What triggered me and really struck me
0: is when I realized that um, uh, the example they were given, where they were building an application, they were building a Linux-only application in Visual Studio. And then, and then, wait, what? And then the presenter, she was like, "And then we we could also, if we wanted to, you know, if you wanted to target Windows, you can." And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, wow! And I thought, well, you know, this just makes it possible to do to do all your Linux development, and you never have to run a Linux desktop. Ho hum. But I actually don't think these were ever people that were likely to switch to the Linux desktop to begin with. There is, and we all know this to be true, an entire world of free software, open source, and Linux that exists that people make lots of money off of that doesn't involve the desktop world. You could be employed to write free software and never run desktop Linux. In fact, presenters who are contributors to multiple distributions like Gentoo and Kali Linux were running macOS,
1: and they were just running everything under VMs and Docker containers. Yeah, I think it's a sort of pragmatism we need to be more comfortable with. You know, there's things we kind of want to reactionarily... There's things we want, and there's the way things actually are. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Here's reality. And I can also imagine it's useful, too. I mean, just for people that, you know, you might have Linux at home or you have a Chromebook that you use on your couch, but your work machine's Windows, because that's what IT provides and you're just you just have more abilities now regardless of the philosophical implications. Yeah. You do have. And and for people that were never going to be able to switch to Linux, they can now write software for Linux. And I guess that means we worry that we lose a little bit of leverage, right? We have less of a way to say like, well, you got to switch to Linux because we've got all these tools and now more and more of those are available on Windows. But you're right. I don't think that was really that that big of a lever to begin with. And it's kind of a gross way to do things.
0: You also saw a different um, projects trying to tailor their their particular project to the subsystem. So, like example, the Penguin folks seem to be pivoting very hard to graphical environment, getting X applications and Xfce and Cute applications With and some cute. impressive results. Yeah, that seemed to be a big focus for them. Um, so that's and then Kali Linux was trying to uh, Kali, Kali Linux did a presentation about essentially doing your penetration testing from the subsystem from your Windows machine. Which how many corporate how many corporate guys that are forced to and gals that are forced to run
1: Windows? Right. Or not, you might you might even want to run Windows to run some Windows specific tooling to target a Windows network. It might be easier to run the subsystem than a whole Windows VM. Obviously this event is about the subsystem.
0: But there is another star that is shining very bright in all these conversations, and it's something Wes and I used the hell out of in this last week, and that's the new Windows Terminal. You've probably heard about their new open source Windows Terminal. It's got retro term effects, all of that. Well, the program manager, Kyla Cinnamon, joined us to talk a little bit about that.
4: Um, so just a quick introduction, my name is Kayla Cinnamon, and I am the program manager on Windows Terminal. So I work with Terminal every day, working with the community, working with developers, and we just want to make the Terminal the best command line experience on Windows.
0: And boy, is it just in every single demo. And I've been using the crap out of it, so I want to talk about with your experience with the Windows Terminal a little bit more. But it is, it's is—it's so obvious how this plays into their overall strategy for yeah. developers now. It's, it's what they're doing almost wouldn't be possible without this new Windows terminal. It's such a key strategic piece of software because one of the essential things it does is this tab system allows you to jump right into a system. So, for example, on my machine, when I start the Windows
1: terminal right now, it starts in an Ubuntu bash environment, <laughs> which is just fantastic. This is another area where is it suddenly easier to develop for multiple Win- Linux environments from Windows than it is on Linux? I mean, you, gotta set, you can set up Cheroots and all those things, but... It this, is. Is, this is a tab. It quite frankly is. I have, I have three different Linux distributions <laughs> installed,
0: and I have each one of them in a tab. I mean, isn't that something? It, the, so Hayden comes back on in a bit and talks a little more about Ubuntu on the subsystem in
4: 2020. On Ubuntu on WSL, we are moving towards Ubuntu 2004 Focal Fossa. That is the next major Ubuntu LTS long-term support release, and that is... Our, those are the Ubuntu releases we release for WSL. You've probably seen 16.04, 18.04. Well, 20.04 is coming next. That's in April of 2020.
0: 18.04 under WSL2 is what I was using for this week. But Hayden shares a little bit of the roadmap, and you can you can get a feel from his statements here how seriously Canonical is taking the Windows subsystem for Linux as a target for Ubuntu.
4: Ubuntu on WSL? uh is now part of the official Ubuntu desktop roadmap. So this is very much part of the fabric of Ubuntu now. Uh, Ubuntu has been staffing up its WSL efforts, uh, including the uh, addition of Suhini Roy, uh, the product manager, myself, and engineering staff.
0: Since we had to bail a little early, I don't feel like I have a complete take on the event, and it's going to continue tomorrow. I think overall, though, it had less technical issues than you would expect if you've ever been in a company
1: meeting where people are sharing and they have mic issues. Oh, I mean, they, they changed presentation software like a day before, and it's yeah. it's working. It, it did work. Um I had to remind myself
0: to participate in the chat because there was no hallway track. And I'm typically the the guy that just watches and I never say anything. I never leave a comment. I never enter anything in the chat. And I had to remind myself, you you, you got to say something because this is the hallway track. That's all you're going to get. Which I, I guess I feel like um, it, it was a, the information was conveyed, but the spirit of the event was a little muted because um, it's different when you're presenting at your computer with a webcam and a headset than when you're up in front of a room full right, of people. you don't have, with, you know, 40 eyes staring at you. There's a different energy for better or for worse, quite yeah. honestly, um, and there's just a different cadence. Like there, you know, maybe was more time in the schedule than necessary because everybody didn't need to move around and didn't have to swap out presenters and set up laptops and get projectors working. Everybody just pretty much for the most part just clicked on and started talking, which was great. It felt very low-key but very informational, and it felt like it was definitely targeted at the right crowd. People were getting a lot of good stuff out of every presentation. And I got a good sense of just how rich this ecosystem is. I think seeing the demonstration of Kubernetes and Ansible on WSL, it started like, oh, this is, once this gets on Windows, and by the way, those demos were on Windows Server.
1: Once this gets wider deployed on Windows Server, this could be a big deal. It's really becoming a legitimate target, not just for development.
0: Yeah. We'll see how tomorrow goes, but um, I feel like I've learned a bit. Now let's talk about having actually used it. Because having actually used it, I'm not switching away from Linux anytime soon. Uh, it felt like
1: something I would ha- use if I didn't have any other option. I mean, here's the thing. To use it, you have to first use Windows. And you, know, you can't get around that. Let's start there. I um
0: I didn't enjoy this as much as I was hoping I would. I thought maybe the time away, coming back, I'd, I'd kind of like it a little bit more. Um, first and foremost, the first thing that I always have to deal with on a Windows machine after I set it up is there's just way too many power options, just way too much going on. The defaults are dumb. And then there's different sleep modes. There's sleep, there's hybrid sleep, there's hibernate, there's suspend. Ugh. There's the like fake shutdown fast boot stuff. Yeah. It's too much. It's, and I just hate having to fiddle with it. And the control panel is a freaking dumpster fire. However, the search has gotten pretty good,
1: so if you just search for stuff, you find most of it. That is a nice surprise, really, as I can just adopt the Linux workflow I have of Windows key and whatever I want to run.
0: I was impressed how front and center the Linux stuff was in the Microsoft store. There's a whole Linux section. It's right there. Linux. All the Linux stuff. And I was like, whoa, they got like a big
1: old logo, a banner for it. Like, like they're really embracing it. They're not hiding it at all. Right, I mean, you heard in one of those clips, you know, thanking the distros for for showing up. They're clearly excited about this ecosystem. It's If you
0: want to go with WSL2, it's still a little rocky. It's clearly not fully released yet. Like, I installed Ubuntu, but I didn't have WSL2, so then it didn't activate properly. So then I had to install WSL2, which the, didn't link me to the right information. I had to search for it myself. And then I had to rerun Ubuntu to get it all working. I had to be pretty dedicated to getting <laughs> WSL2. <laughs> That's basically it. I was like, okay, I'm really doing this. Um, but once you have it up and installed... You got something kind of special, like you combine that with the Windows terminal and you tell it just to jump right into the Ubuntu system. And the terminal takes longer than I'd like to launch. But once
1: it's launched, it's fine. You know, those integrations are impressive and just a, something you can do when you control the whole stack that we don't always see on Linux. You know, you're just like, oh, right, you designed both parts. And so they work really well together. So I was thinking about why I didn't enjoy it as much.
0: Because the Mac, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. This is better than I expected, right? And what my experience so far, although it's been less time with Windows, has been this is exactly what I expected. And I had to think about it like I like to do these days. You know, I was on a walk with the old dog. Levi
1: helps me work through these things better it's, than It's you. always good to think about what you're going to say before you say it. <laughs> it is. I find
0: that does fine. And also, Levi's a really good listener. You know, I get good feedback from him. Great questions. So... Windows has really good big apps, you know, big enterprise apps, big commercial apps, like the Adobe stuff. It's got all of the standard work apps you'd need to participate in a workspace. It's got your outlooks. It's got really good big apps. And I think uh, if that's your need, it's sort of the, it's the champ there. And that's just something that Linux can't compete at right now because there's just not that same range of apps. But. The fun little third party tweak at utilities that I was popping like uh, pills on Mac OS, um, don't really quite exist the same for Windows. There's some, but they're like more like fiddly little odd ones that look like Windows apps from a hundred years ago, or they're laced with totally wicked, wild UIs. And they don't feel so much like clever tools that take advantage of built in hidden API features that are ingrained into the OS. They feel more like, hardcore tweaks that are altering the way windows works. right I mean you're like this is kind of a hack isn't it yeah. it works
1: but it's kind of a hack and they're just
0: they're not as fun I know that seems silly but so on the on the Mac it, and and like it and like it is when I distro hop every single time and I think that's one of the reasons I like it it's like a fun exploration of oh I can do this oh I can do this like every time I switch back to a, distrib- uh, a desktop environment that I haven't used in years, when we recently tried Cinnamon, for example. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I can do this. Oh, this is great. That's not how I feel in Windows. In Windows, it feels like a damn task. Like, oh, I've got to do this. Oh, now I've got to do this. Oh, now I've got to do this. And then once I get through all that crap, I have it. And it's okay. It's fine. It's got multiple virtual desktops now, which I think is pretty good. It's got, I could slam Windows into corners using the keyboard commands. It's you know, it's it's a funny enough. It's pretty good at doing Windows. Windows are fast. It pops them right up on the screen. They've had that nice snapping support for a long time now.
1: <laughs> yeah. So once you get it, once you get through the slog,
0: all well, right, okay, right. There's right. some. I
1: mean, like the updates are still unpleasant. So much hasn't changed, and if anything, the settings and like control panel stuff is worse now. Yeah, and the file system's underwhelming,
0: which it, it does matter to me. It doesn't matter to most users, but it, it matters to me. Um. <sighs> So I was trying to think of what I could learn. Like, what I learned on the Mac experience was that Linux needs a healthy third-party app ecosystem if we want to avoid an Electron future. And I was trying to think, okay, well, what am I learning from the Windows experience? And what I'm learning from the Windows experience is we need to be a good tool for people. We need to provide a good utility that is predictable and reliable. But I think we're going to get there in our own way with things like snapshots, and and the different kind of, like, improvements that we're seeing to the desktop environments, especially Gnome Shell and Plasma, right. and uh, some of the app picks we're about to talk about, we're going to get there. But we're getting there in sort of the Linux way, um, where, where Windows sort of started from that point. They started as a business-purpose OS. And, and when you look at it from that way, when you look at what the whole point of the NT desktop was, it was to be a business workstation. And it makes a little more sense, especially when you consider the history of XP and how long it was around. And, yeah. I don't know how we compete with that other than just trying to make our tools better, trying to make it a better and better workstation.
1: Right. And, you know, there are those those users that see already Linux can get out of your way a little bit more than Windows can, and it that
0: might, that might become more popular. So bin they have a pretty decent multiple desktop, virtual desktop implementation, don't they?
5: Yeah, but I find myself not using it that much. I'm more a guy of multiple uh,
2: screens and use it, use it that way.
0: I think when I just use Windows, I kind of don't think to use it. So I intentionally put some of my chat applications on different desktops. So that way I had to move over to see them. Get used to it. And my terminal on a different one. So I think I could build the habit up just like I have on other desktop environments. And it's nice that it is built in. And it is a very quick, it's high performance.
1: There are, you know thinking way back to windows i will say it is you know it feels very stable there's no weird lag in explorer anymore you know random well we both are
0: using fresh installs though that's a caveat okay
1: yeah true one week's not really enough to yeah a thing like, if
0: we were doing this if this was a year long thing which we could not survive but if it was there's no way it'd be as performant as it is right
1: isn't that just sort of is that isn't that still I true guess with windows we're going to have to find out well i mean you'd have to use it i don't want uh. to i don't really <laughs> Do we have any volunteers from the
0: audience? <laughs> there must be people out there. That, can you confirm if Windows 10 still suffers from that? Because I think it's just inherent to how Windows is designed. But what do I know? <laughs> I I guess um, here's another way to reframe this whole conversation that is also sort of reflective of my experience of WSL Conf so far. If you were always going to be on the Windows platform, it is a better experience than it's ever been. And I say that as a bit of a Windows critic. But when you look at the work they're doing, their browser is competitive again. Their terminal is competitive again. The subsystem for Linux is looking like a really good piece of kit. Docker is really working on supporting the hell out of it. So essentially anything you can run in Docker, you can run on the subsystem. Canonical is focusing on it as a primary target for the Ubuntu platform. Kali Linux is targeting it as a primary target for them. It's clear that there is an ecosystem already building around this thing and they haven't even gotten the second version out yet so it's better than it's ever been for windows users and i think that i think that's going to lead to more more linux software i think we will actually see more contributors to open source and free software because it, people won't have to leave their comfort zone, or their mandated
1: operating system to contribute now. I mean, it's got to be better if more people are aware of Linux, right? You know, you you start working on these Windows tooling, Linux is suddenly an easy, available, marketed option for you, and you're naturally, at some point, at least going to wonder, oh, maybe I can use this in other areas of my life. Maybe you suddenly deploy a Raspberry Pi running Linux at home, or in, explore the Linux desktop a little bit on that spare laptop that you have.
0: Yeah, and you're You're already more familiar with the uh, command line, so you've got an idea of what some of the commands are. Colonel, you have real-time follow-up on the uh, Windows lag issue?
4: Yeah, so um, due to college classes, I'm required to use Windows for certain things. Um, I keep it in a VM, but even so, every time I run updates, it just seems to get slower and slower. I've actually taken to having a gold image that I then – it's the fresh install, and I run the updates on that clone it off and use it and i snapshot that so that every time i go to run updates it's coming from a fresh install otherwise it starts slowing down like crazy
0: ah interesting okay yeah i i i have a pretty recent build because i'm on the fast track and i got the insider iso right so i haven't had to experience a lot of updates cuz it came pretty fresh um i i have not this go around played with chocolatey but chocolatey is it is like Brute is to the Mac. It is a mm-hmm. package manager for Windows. And last time around, I did a Windows test, like two, three years ago.
1: Uh, it was maybe it wasn't even that long ago, maybe a year ago. I tried out Chocolatey, and I was really impressed by it. Yeah, I, you, I, yeah, I installed it. I mean, almost just out of habit, I kind of think to myself, okay, Windows, let's get let's get a package manager on there.
0: And is there something like you? Is there like a go to package that you
1: install after you load it, or is it just you want to have it because you know you might call upon it? I just sort of. It helps complete the picture, you know? Yeah. Like, I just expect that to be a part of an operating system. And I hate the sort of traditional, like, am I going to go around and, like, go grab all these things individually? Mm-hmm. No, I can't do that. I'm I not going to do that. And and the, the default command prompt feels so... Um... Just basic, well, and I mean uh, they had to. That's why you needed this new term. Yeah, yeah, they really had to do this. I will. I mean, I will say using the new terminal, and I was trying to like I did play around with the subsystem, obviously, but I was trying to use PowerShell too, just because. Uh-huh. I mean, we're using Windows, right? I had to use it a little bit just to get uh, WSL two working. It does. I mean, it is. It's modern. You know, there they have even though there is plenty, especially in in parts of the UI that has that Windows legacy. The command line is starting to feel. First class. Yeah, I
0: agree. And their new terminal adds um, like some nice search features that are similar to how you would search for something in a web browser. It can search back through your whole command line log. And then they've added silly things like the cool retro term. And then, of course, you can open up a terminal and have a tab that's in Ubuntu, a tab that's in Debian, and a tab that's in OpenSUSE, and a tab that's in Kali Linux, and a tab that's on the Windows command line, and a tab that's in PowerShell. (laughs) It's pretty crazy. You could be running three or four Linux distros simultaneously. (laughs) And you sit there and go, wow, that's something that's even hard to do on Linux itself. And um, look at Microsoft shipping it didn't didn't really kind of make me go, well, all right, I'm done with Linux then. I'm going to switch this. I'll do all I love the Linux command line. I'll run it here and I'll use the Windows UI and have all my Steam games. I thought like there was a risk of that for me because it'd be kind of nice to, you know, just have a really great desktop that has a everybody talks about the Mac how it's a it's a great desktop with a with a real Unix terminal underneath. Well, here's a desktop with a Linux terminal underneath. Now, no, it just still doesn't do it for me. It's, still, it's the whole package. There's
1: still too much Windows, and there is still weird Windows cruft lurking. Uh, you didn't have to go through the installation part, but I did. Yeah. And, I mean, that's just unpleasant. The weird magic, the strange guids everywhere. It, it's just such a foreign ecosystem, and I don't. I, I'm really grateful I don't need it. I'm glad that it's becoming more useful. That just seems like a good thing. Yeah. But the dynamic... Is clear because we're
0: Linux users coming to Windows and we're going, oh, this stuff's all different. But if the situation was reversed and we were Windows users first coming to Linux, what they have now is so much more functional and it would be so much more appealing to me. Like I think for their, for their customer base, for what they're targeting, they have. Frickin' nailed it. And I'm not worried about it taking away Linux users because I think ultimately it'll make people more familiar with the Linux command line and it will result in more people contributing to software and I think ultimately it will lead to more Linux users because the Windows experience is still very much Windows but this just shows you how much more power there is out there and when you can tap into that, when you get involved in the communities it's it's just going to be one more thing that draws people in. Kind of actually think it's a great thing overall, and I, I had a I had a note that I wrote down like like I do now on my old uh, paper tab here, and I thought to myself, the way to explain what Microsoft is doing here is you could they say they love they love Linux and they love open source, but what it is is as a business they've come up with a very clever way to monetize just like it's 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 a cliche thing but when this if you want to understand micro, microsoft's motivation it comes down to one classic american cliche and that is they are selling the picks axes and shovels to the gold miners that's what they're doing that's what azure is that's what vs code is that's what wsl is they are tools for people that are in the gold rush which is
1: writing web applications and modern open source software they are providing the tools. It's you know, a brilliant strategy. It really is. And the whole thing, especially attending WSL Conf, is you know, there wasn't a lot of discussion about licenses or philosophy. Like it's, it's a pragmatic attitude. And sort of the change at Microsoft was dropping that anti-Linux philosophy and just realizing if we support more platforms, that's more places to sell our languages and our tooling and enterprise support contracts. And that's what they've done, and it's been very successful. Yes. And so their motivation is to continue this. That's their and, and that's why it's
0: not some secret plan to take over the Linux desktop and, and lock down everything. It's simply they want to sell as many shovels as they can while the gold rush is in full swing. And they want to capture that market. And by the way, have you tried Azure? You know, because there's some long term revenue possibilities there and it just all this just plugs in real nice. I think it's a good strategy, and I think it's pretty easy to understand. And I think really the conversation around what's Microsoft's motivation and why are they doing this needs to come to an end. We just need to we need to move past this and realize this is the new reality. Because there are individuals that work at Microsoft now that have only ever worked there since it's been this way. Think about how that will over time change a company culture. It's pretty wild. It, it for me i mean I'm, maybe i'm getting old but i just i remember visiting the microsoft campus back in the late 80s right after windows 98 was released things were on fire and microsoft was on top of the world and they are now now in a totally different position and they're they've really figured out how to make it work for them i'm i'm looking forward to
1: see what wsl conf day 2 has Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot more to come out of this conference and the Microsoft and Linux ecosystem. Yeah. And
0: in the meantime, in the meantime, I'm just going to take advantage of all the great new software that'll run on Linux and uh, be grateful for that. And when I do have to run Windows, first thing I do is get the subsystem going and get the latest Ubuntu environment installed. And I'm sitting there doing apt update. And you know what? I can tell it's a little slower. It is a little bit slower, isn't it, Wes? Did you notice it's a little slower? okay, a little bit. Yeah, it is a little bit slower, but
1: it's there. That's how you tell it's not real.
2: (laughs) I'm curious of the uh, overall impact on the Windows host when you're running all of these WSL environments in the new terminal. Like you were were talking about, you were running Ubuntu, Debian, OpenSUSE, um, and all these distributions. How does that impact the The system itself. Do you notice a significant slowdown? Do you notice some herky-jerky action going on there?
0: So when they're just sitting there idle, um, and Kelly was the other one, when they're just sitting there idle, it's pretty much just whatever memory bash takes. It's very, very low impact. If you start doing a lot of things, like you start spinning up environments inside there you start act, actually adding a lot of software and things like that it it seems like the performance kind of starts to drop off a cliff a little bit and that was definitely prevalent in the demonstrations we saw today too like when they were spinning up kubernetes clusters inside wsl things definitely slowed down
2: right or, or if you launched all of those uh, wsl environments and updated each one at the same time I'm sure. sure that would significantly impact the host
0: but To that end, like when I launch the terminal and those tabs preload, it just almost happens immediately. It it doesn't, it's not like you're sitting there waiting for for them
1: to spin up. And I know Microsoft's done a lot of work to sort of craft a well-integrated and super minimal sort of Hyper-V setup for WSL2.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, I think you're going to see a lot of projects that will shift support over for it and, and get serious about it. I mean, Docker Desktop looked really good. And Penguin, for example, making it super easy with an NCurses. So it starts, you get in the Penguin environment, there's an end prompt to get X11 working, and you can get a full Qt development environment going with X11, um, XFCE, it is... It's pretty nice, and it's all just just walks you right through it. You don't have to be an expert on getting that stuff going. And I'm, I'm very I'm very impressed by what the different projects are doing to stay competitive.
5: I think I heard that uh, Ubuntu will officially support their distro for WSL two.
0: Yeah, that was something Hayden touched on. It's on their roadmap now, and it's an, it's an official target. Speaking of which, I need to get Ubuntu installed on this laptop now. Um, maybe uh, rather fast too. Yeah, we've got some work for after the show. Okay, so we have two picks to cover before we go. Number one is if you have been lured into using Google Photos, that Whoops. handy, super useful, incredible tool
1: called Google Photos. I mean, it is. It's so handy and, and like, easy. if you're a Pixel user, they just give you storage. Your friends are on there so you can share albums really easily. Uh. It's the best search. Christmas
0: tree and dog. And like it shows me all the pictures with Levi in front of the Christmas tree. I mean, it's just something. Else. RV. I just searched for RV. All the pictures of Lady jupe just come up. It's just like so, but you know, it's googs, and you maybe you want to switch off, but you got to get all your photos out of there, or maybe you just want to have your own for when eventually they shut it down. You want to have your own stash, yeah, they're gonna shut it down, or you just want your own copy. Well, you can safely back up your Google Photos with our app pick this week. It's really simple, you can install it as a snap too, because uh, our buddy Mr. Popey snapped it up. It's called G Photo Sync, it's probably in your repo or. It's a snap. It's Gphotos sync, photos with an S, dash sync. Just snap install Gphotos sync. And then you run that and it pulls down all of your photos
1: right off the old uh, Google Photos. You know, he's got a great post written up about this tool. My only issue is we didn't get any fun photos. Yeah. He did have one in the tweet about it.
0: That's actually made me, what's his, he had pic- a picture of his cat made me click it. So, okay. He knows what's going he on. He knows what's up for the tweet. And then our second app pick this week is, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Docker and WSL integration and how Windows is doing all this. Well, let's show them one better. Let's show them how Plasma does it. So this is a Plasmoid for managing your Docker containers. Now, listen, I know you're not all of you use Docker, but this is really nice because it's a little menu right there with a graphical environment that shows you the status of your different containers. I don't know where this accent's coming from, but it won't go away. And you can start and stop them right there. You can jump into an environment. Uh, you can take notes, edit them, right there. How, what do you think of that, Wes? Isn't that nice?
1: Yeah, I tried to get it installed before the show. But On your Plasma? Uh-huh, but it needed a couple build dependencies. And for whatever reason, the, the KDE store links weren't loading. Damn it, Wes. But hopefully by the time you see this, you can give it a try. Because I was curious, and especially if you're only running a couple containers, you don't need any complicated yeah. management, that's perfect. I think it is. I think it's, I don't know, we'll put a link in the old show
0: notes if, uh, if you could use one of them two tools. That's where you'll get them. Check it out linuxunplugcom slash 344. and it's uh, right there. Links to everything we talked about today. Well, Wes, what do you say? You about ready to pack it up and uh, go install Ubuntu on our machines and go back to the conference? More than ready. All right. Well, we will be live hopefully if all goes as planned. I'll be from Denver. I'll sneak out. I'll be I'll be down there for like one day. So I'll probably spend the morning with the Elementary OS guys and yeah. then sneak out to do a lot. Maybe I could bring one of them with them with me back to the RV. Take a take a prisoner. I should, right? That'd be fun. So check out that at jblive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the lifetime. But of course, as we always do, we'll release the edited version with the audio all cleaned up as our excellent editor, Mr. Joe Resington, does every time. Go to linuxunplugged.com slash subscribe to get the feed and get the episode every single week. Go get more Westpain at techsnap.systems oh, yeah. at westpain.com check out my projects at chrislass.com the sites over there as well as the Chris chrislass cast and i'm at chrislass on the twitter thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the unplugged program oh go check out the ubuntu podcast rumor has it's coming back soon go get subscribed over there Ooh. and we'll see you next tuesday program 344 Mm. all right jbtitles.com the bot is up and running and we've got lots of good title suggestions so let's go pick our title go vote brent how you holding up there in the north is it snowy is it cold is it all right uh it's there's lots of snow and always cold But But (laughs) is it at the point where it's getting pretty old or at least you're honest can you enjoy it at all you know, I will say, this time of year, I really appreciate it because it's, it's it's longer sunny days. Oh, so yes.
1: I actually prefer this part of winter, you know, January, and so is kind of depressive.
0: Uh, but, man, it's so sunny, and there's still snow everywhere, and it's just beautiful. So,
1: I actually decided uh, before Linux Unplugged that I would go for a hike afterwards. So, uh, once we hang up here, i go for a hike.
0: Nice. Good, good for you. I also have felt like the longer evenings have made a huge difference.
1: Like I was just saying, I was barbecuing last night for the first time this year, I think. And there's something about the sun being out. And I sort of think to when it's going to be hot in the summer and it suddenly feels very refreshing now.
0: Yeah. Oh, God, it was so nice. It was 50 degrees last night when I was out there barbecuing and it was no wind. You know, like the kind of wind where a light you can, you can, you light doesn't even, you know, it's just, just stand straight up and barbecuing and, and sun setting. It was so nice. I was thinking to myself, why the hell am I driving to Denver? This is so nice right now. Wyoming's going to be
2: just miserable. How many miles is that drive to Denver?
0: Ah. Uh, I think 1600. I'm on it. I'm think on you. it. Thank <laughs> you. Far. That's the answer. (laughs) A lot of gas, a lot of gas. Thankfully, (laughs) the oil market is crashing right now, and my trip will be slightly cheaper as a result. And I'm paying for it out of pocket, too. So I'm very much watching the gas prices.
1: From the studio, 1,334
2: miles. There you go. Do you get snow chains?
1: I do not. That's what I'm... The number
0: one concern with an underline I have is that... We will get somewhere that requires chains. Now, last night, we did a route sweep. We looked at all the webcams. We looked at all the route advisories. And everything right now is does not require chains. But obviously, that could change any day. And that is a huge thing that I'm concerned about. And because we'll have no option but to turn around. And so, uh, I'm really hoping that doesn't happen. But it just depends on the weather.
2: You said 1,334? Yeah. I think we should round that up to 1,337.
0: And I'm going, yeah, that's right. And I'm going from... Uh, like sea level to 8,000 feet, and then I'll be going down to like 5,200 feet, ultimately.
1: Yeah, 11,000 is your delta in feet. That's crazy. Make
0: sure to keep up on Wyoming 411. I-80 I had a huge, oh my God, 100-car accident last week and was closed both ways. That's the exact kind of shit I don't want having to have to deal with.
2: <laughs> you still got the uh, the tracker going, the, the rover?
0: I No, the subscription expired, so I want not have the tracker wah. for this trip. I know, and I went to go check it last night, and their whole webpage is broken and
5: busted, so of I course. couldn't even. <laughs> Just make sure you get stranded somewhere with Wi-Fi, okay? <laughs>